Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. Today I'm joined by Grover Norquist, who is founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform. And he's also known as the most influential conservative in Washington. So Grover, we spoke on election day and I think, although you never said anything one way or the other, I think it's fair to say you didn't sound too optimistic. How surprised were you by the result? Well, I assumed we'd hold the House. Uh, I think we lost seven seats, uh, although some of that may be disputed, but close to seven seats in the House. But we had a very comfortable margin to begin with. My hopes on Election Day were that we would hold the Senate so that if we ended up with Hillary Clinton as president, we could stop her from controlling the courts. In point of fact, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, uh, when Trump was able to win in Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Uh, Iowa had looked good for some time, but I mean, I had just been looking at the normal polling data and seeing that the polling data showed Hillary ahead in all the key states you need to win, and that the ground game was reportedly so much stronger for Hillary than for Trump. Uh, and that lastly, that there'd been this outpouring of uh, votes that were pre- assumed to be Democrat votes. So th- not just the polling numbers, but the establishment press was saying, oh, look at all the turnout in Florida. It's all coming from Hillary places. Uh, and uh, so these all convinced me, because I didn't have better information, that it was very unlikely that uh, Trump could win. But, and I think going past the sort of shock of the result, now that we're in the, in the sort of transition phase uh, of of the Trump government, th- there seems to be a feeling that Trump is now making amends with the Republican Party and that the, the, the sort of wounds of the campaign are healing. Um, and certainly the the appointment of Priebus um, and the fact that Mike Pence is now head of the transition team seems to suggest that that's the case. Is do you, Is that true, do you think? Well, there are two things. I think that the assumption that there was this conflict was overplayed. And again, not to harp on the fact that the media was playing not referee, but, uh, you know, uh, was playing tackle for the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, part of that was every conversation inside the Republican Party became one where the Republican Party was at war with itself. Uh, the Guardian uh, newspaper asked me to write a piece before the election saying, um, well, what happens now to the Republican Party that's flat on its back uh, on the assumption that it would be? Uh, I have written several places and made the point that prior to the election, even if the Republicans lost the presidency, the Republican Party may would be the, the dominant party in the United States, looking at the 31 governors, the 69 of 99 state legislative bodies, control of the House, likely control of the uh, Senate. And while the presidency is very important, extremely uh, important, it's not the sum total of either a party's health uh, or a party's strength inside uh, the country. The president runs part of the executive branch of the federal government. Mm. And there are many levels of government uh, and there are other branches of government. So uh, I think there was this conscious effort to play up every division in the Republican side and to pretend that in the modern Democratic Party, There were not these divisions, even though what WikiLeaks kept showing us every few days 
was this incredible conflict inside the modern Democratic Party and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Yes. But I do remember we spoke a, a while ago, I think a few months ago, and you said at the time you had no idea how to get an idea into Trump land. That struck me as quite interesting. And, and I mean, do you now have an idea how to get an, have an idea how to get an idea into Trump land? Yes, yes. I, I'm working with several people in transition and uh, in the various departments. Plus, they're fleshing out who's in charge. Uh, I would not have counted Reince Priebus, who's a friend and an ally and somebody that the taxpayer movement uh, cheerfully works with. I would not have counted him as Trump world mm. since he was running the RNC when we spoke. But what Trump has done is thinking back what would obviously happen. Uh, Ryan's Priebus and the RNC were a key part of the campaign on Tuesday of the uh, Trump campaign of the House and Senate races. And people who said Hillary has a ground game, meaning the Hillary campaign has a ground game, and Trump doesn't, were missing that the Trump ground game was the RNC yeah. ground game, that there were thousands of people paid by the Republican Party, not the Trump campaign, that had been working for months before Trump was the nominee to elect a Republican House, Senate, governors, and presidential race. So politics, as we know, and as, as Trump has figured out, uh, is, is a team sport. Yeah. Uh, and it's not all about, you know, getting the president across the finish line. Nixon did that in 1972. He just forgot to bring a House or Senate with him, and then it was a pretty lonely victory. Trump and the Republican National Committee worked better at bringing the House across the finish line, the Senate, the governors, the state legislators, and the presidency. And what the Democrats need to worry about is not simply a Trump presidency for four or eight years, but look at the bench. I mean, there were 16 people running for president of the United States as Republicans, 10 of whom you'd be proud to take home to mom and say, look at this, what a candidate. Yeah. The Democrats barely could scrape together two and a half people uh, and Hillary was an odd candidate to have picked on purpose. The Vermont senator was not somebody you'd have picked on purpose. And if they'd all been hit by a bus, who would the Democrats run yeah. with toss and seriousness? Whereas Republicans, largely because of governors and a different set of senators, could put forward a dozen people who could credibly and seriously run all the way for the presidency. I, I hear what you're saying, but in the uh, appointment of Steve Bannon as the role of senior advisor and chief strategist, that's that's not politics as normal, is it? Even by, you know, unusual Republican standards, that seems an unusual role for him. Yeah, I really don't know the gentleman. When you're looking at a chief of staff in Reince Priebus, that is somebody who has 360 degree peripheral vision. Mm. He thinks the entire party, the governors, the Congress, the Senate, what kills White Houses and, and damages serious intelligent people, such as the, the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, and the Obama administration, is they not only can't see in 360 degree peripheral vision, they can't walk down the street and talk to the House and Senate, as odd as that sounds. I mean, when I would talk to the House and Senate, they were Democrats and Republicans have been frustrated for many presidencies that the White House pops up, has an idea, and somehow assumes everybody in the House and Senate will follow and thinks it's a brilliant idea, even though they don't have a sense of, haven't been briefed, don't know what's going on. 
Reince Priebus would always be aware, and, and I think it should almost be a requirement in that job or any job in the White House, that you've worked in a governor's office, that you've worked in Congress, and you know how the rest of the government works instead of thinking, as some people seem to, that the president runs the country or even runs the government. Yeah. He can't even run the executive branch. And only if he works and reaches out can he, he or she begin to get anything done. Do you think then we're already seeing a small group forming around the president and president-elect himself uh, that will be very different to any government, American government we've seen before? And then the rest of the government's going to become a fairly traditional Republican administration. Well, it's an interesting question. There are 4,000 appointments that the president gets to make in the federal government. Uh, that's a lot of people. Mm. Uh, they can't just be your friends. They can't just. They can't even be people you know. You've got to rely on other people to hire down and around to fill in 4,000 folks from cabinet officers down to FDA uh, commissioners. So the idea of a small group of people, they can't manage the big one. The, the, the Trump campaign inner circle is expanding. I had two guys from the Trump campaign come talk to me in the spring who said, you know, we have eight people on staff <laughs> um, at a time when they were just about to do Iowa. Is in early spring. And they'd hired some local people in Iowa, but he said there's literally, there are eight of us, and some of them are in New York and the rest fly around with him. And that is a small group that has grown. Yeah. Usually, people run for president. Their circle of trust does nothing but shrink during the presidency as people leave and go out. Tough to bring in new people. That Trump reached out to a guy like Reince Priebus and Pence, which are new to him and new to him, particularly because of the world he lived in before. He wasn't a politician before. He's learned to trust, reach out, and rely on people that are new to him. That is a skill other presidents have lacked. Yes. But, but do you think, and perhaps it's too far to look ahead to four years' time, but the Trump presidency and Trump's popularity might suffer if he becomes essentially a Republican figure. I mean, his whole appeal, I think, among Republicans and Democrats was that he was he was a non-party man. Is, is he going to suffer now if he if he has this rapprochement with the party that seems to be happening? Well, on the list of issues that he led with, the tax cut, that's a traditional Republican position. It's also a populist uh, position. Yeah. Reducing size and scope and power of Washington, D.C. and the nanny state is both a traditional Republican position and a wildly popular position. He reached out to a lot of people who should be Republicans, and he didn't say to them, hey, you, you're Republican, vote for me, because they weren't Republicans. He said, you and I see the same problems, and I and you, we're going to make this better. And they were willing to walk in. If there was a door into the Trump campaign to vote for Trump that said Republican, most Republicans walked through that, and that was a big chunk of his vote. They got about half the vote. Republicans official Republicans are maybe a third of the electorate. So you have to get people who think of themselves as independents or even Democrats. You look at that map. There are a lot of people who never became Reagan Democrats mm. in Michigan, in Iowa, in Kentucky, but then turned into Trump Democrats. And as a lot of the Reagan Republicans over time, Reagan Democrats became Republicans. And Trump may be doing the same thing. I think actually Trump here could do a big favor to the party by bringing new people in 
There's a different door you go through, not the traditional Republican door that other people have used every two years, but a new door that said, here's the problem, here's what I want to do, join me, uh, and people are doing that. We get the tax cuts that he's put forward, the deregulation, uh, the work on uh, parental choice and education, lightening up federal government, messing with people's lives. Corporate tax reform? Uh, tax reform, absolutely. Um, uh, taking the corporate rate from 35% down to 15%. I just had lunch with a key economist in Ireland who goes, Ireland's whole economic effort has been to keep our rate so much lower than the American rate that everybody wanted to locate in Ireland. Yeah. If the American rate goes to 15, Ireland's at 12 and a half. That's not a differential that that makes but do you think you might get i suppose what what you would like on tax reform but but that would be combined with a huge fiscal uh, with a huge stimulus that perhaps you wouldn't agree with ideologically well i think there's several things there's uh, reform on entitlements taking entitlements as clinton did and block granting them out to the states that both saves money gives you 50 different ways of taking approaching the same problem mm. uh and let's let you find out what works and what doesn't there's a great deal of savings to be made by block granting the means-tested programs that we have. And I think that's going to be an important part of reining in spending. Plus, remember, we're still living with a bunch of spending that was stuck in there during the Clinton years, the Bush years, and the Obama years. And the modern Republican Party is not wedded to the Bush spending levels and certainly not to the priorities of Bill Clinton or Obama. Yeah. There's a lot of spending to be brought down. So do, do you see him as a, as a sort of a Reagan-like figure for this time and age? He certainly can be. I mean, you can see certain similarities. Uh, Reagan wanted to take the individual rate down dramatically. Trump wants to take the corporate rate down dramatically. But also, keep in mind, a lot of businesses in the United States are sole proprietorships or partnerships, and they pay taxes through the individual tax code which runs as high as over 40%, even worse than the corporate rate. What Trump does is he says if you're self-employed and your business income, you pay taxes on through the individual level, you're going to be paying 15% on the business tax side. And when you take it out of, in effect, the business and spend it, then you would pay the normal personal uh, income tax, but not twice. Yeah. And last question, uh, Grover. Finally, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer maybe, but do you trust Donald Trump? I trust Donald Trump on those issues. I trust that I understand him and that I trust that I think I know what he would do on taxes, uh, largely on spending, on questions of the power of the state against the individual, and on these that he's spoken to repeatedly uh, and explained why he holds these positions. I think you can clearly see where he has been and where he would be. There are a lot of issues that uh, he's not spoken to because he's only been speaking on a national level for a couple of years now uh, in terms of a lot of issues. So uh, I expect at some point to be surprised that some issue that I thought was obviously decided in one direction, he considers an open discussion. Uh, and from my perspective as a Reagan Republican, we have a Reagan Republican House, a Reagan Republican Senate, and a president who is largely Reagan Republican, but not 100%. And he will work with the House and the Senate to move legislation. The amount of things we know we agree on and that can be accomplished within the first half year of his presidency is historic. Abolishing Obamacare is a trillion dollar tax cut. 
trillion dollar tax cut. The tax reform, tax reduction he wants will be traumatic, dramatic, dramatic with a D, dramatic <laughs> for economic growth. These are, as somebody said, huge. Yeah. And if you did nothing but that and retired, you would be an historic figure. Grover, thank you. That's, that's all we've got time for. But thank you very much for talking to us. It's extremely interesting. Good to be with you. And I'm pleased to say that the American Economy podcast, which we thought would be ending with the election, we've decided to carry it on because things are going to get a lot more interesting and exciting over the next few weeks. So um, stick with us and keep subscribing. Uh, and if you don't subscribe, you can subscribe now on iTunes. So please do so. 